stream of consciousness on a sleeping street of dreams thoughts like scattered leaves slowed in midfall to the streams of fast to the Tom Dupree Show for our financial hour. Joining us, Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. So this is a song by uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, sort of after they had gotten done with Neil Young, kind of jumping in and out. And it was an album uh, that came out in like 1982, called uh, Daylight Again, and this song is called Delta, and that's David Crosby on the uh, vocal. He was kind of hard to pin down some for some of this album, so they brought in Art Garfunkel, Timothy B. Schmidt, a guy named Mike Finnegan, who's a keyboard guy. So... Uh, and I don't know if in 82 were the Beagles, the Beagles, the Beagles, they're the guys that wrote uh, Hotel California, the Beagles. No, 82, the, the Eagles were, were a thing. I mean, yeah, because yeah, they, they, I know they cut New Kid in town like in 76. So um, I never really followed the Eagles, but uh, so he would have been barred from the Eagles to come over and, and, and sing on that. Um, you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and when they had Neil Young, I thought they were even better. But it was a matter of hold, holding all the egos in check. Um, it's proved hard for some groups, but some groups have stayed together forever. You know, um, who are – well, the, the Eagles. Rolling Stones. Yeah, the Eagles, the, the Eagles. Rolling Stones. Yeah. I think Mick Jagger and Keith Richards really don't like each other anymore, but it's too much money at stake, so they keep I it would agree. Yeah. I, I wouldn't like the guy after seeing him make that much money that I could have <laughs> made either. You know, <laughs> you, some people don't like seeing somebody else do well. So 
but, but but a lot of these, you know, you look at like Aerosmith or you know some of the bigger rock bands. Even they're each person's talented, but it's it's when you get it's 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 just the way they gel together. That's what makes yep. a sound. And so it's like you take somebody that's good, another person that's pretty good, but it just it's a perfect storm. It just makes something amazing. Yeah, and um, and on their own, they're not. That good, all that yeah, thing. and I think it takes a certain amount of humility to see that yeah that I don't do as well on my own as I do uh, with 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 a team, um, and uh, and that is sort of a a thing that it's really tough for some people to to really get yeah uh, yeah you got Simon and Garfunkel. Paul Simon, it had to be all about him. Rod Stewart, he couldn't stay in a band. He had to go do Rod Stewart. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Richie Blackmore, who played with Deep Purple, Rainbow, you know, several really great bands, guitar player, and he went out on his own. And it's just you just really don't never heard anything else about him. Yeah, um, Steve Perry with Journey. Steve, well, yeah, Steve Perry. Yeah, <laughs> did he go out on his own? He did. He had one hit, and that was it. Oh, Sana, da, da, That's da, it. Da, Sing it, Tom. And, and in the Jumping financial markets today. <laughs> is it Oh, Sherry they were listening, or something? It's Oh, Sherry. They were listening yeah. to Journey and Steve Perry in the financial markets But that's a good today. song. I mean, well, I, now who was the band that the guy died? He, the drummer, the real good drummer, Toto, the yep. guy that was the drummer for Toto. Who? I don't know. Rosanna, Rosanna, the guy that played the drums for them. He was. He's an Italian last name. I can't think of his name right now. I played some stuff of his on here before. That dude is. In, uh, Jeff Porcaro. Porcaro. And Porcaro. He yeah. played on some Steely Dan songs too. Mm. And then the in the in Lukather the guitar Steve, Steve Lukather for uh, Toto. Yeah, it wasn't Schmidt. Timothy Schmidt was he Toto? I think he sang on some of their stuff. Yeah, he's been on a lot of different things. Yeah. yeah. David Hungate. N nothing like this Eagles gig though. Oh no, Beagles. <laughs> okay, the, uh, I'm going to just start off with this real quick. The U.S. has a $6 trillion problem over the next 12 months. Now, a lot of these stories are sort of, okay. This is on Seeking uh, Alpha. Uh, no, it isn't on Seeking Alpha. This is on Zero Hedge. This is on Zero Hedge. And it's you, they never tell you who the guy is. Uh, oh yeah, they did. Be this is by James Hickman. They usually put it by Tyler Durden. Tyler Durden, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is by. <laughs> but this so time they sorry. didn't. Yeah, I am so he was a member of the Beatles my, yeah. or the, the Beagles. Beagles. Yeah. <laughs> he was the my replacement drummer for the Beagles. <laughs> by James Hickman via Schiff Sovereign. Yesterday, the Treasury. This came out today, Friday the 2nd. Yesterday, the Treasury Department announced that they expect to increase the national debt by a whopping $760 billion this quarter alone and another $202 billion next quarter. Now, we have a problem with not the, the spending that is um, 
that can be changed by Congress. It's the spending that can't be changed. It's the entitlement programs. It's Social Security and Medicare. And and those are things that they're on the hook for. The same way the city of Lexington's on the hook for police and fire deal that is going to be out of control at some point. Never gets talked about. In short, that means almost $1 trillion added to the national debt in just the first half of the year. And again, these are the Treasury Department's own estimates. But there's an even greater risk that the Treasury Department faces this year. It's hardly being discussed anywhere. Over the next 12 months, more than $6 trillion in existing U.S. government debt is set to mature and will need to be paid back somehow. Well, okay, this has always been what the government does. When it, when a new when an old bond matures, they roll over a new one, and they pay the old bond. They never pay you back because they don't have the money to pay you back. They roll over a new one. So what this is talking about is how the interest rate on lots of new bonds are going to be higher than they have on the older ones. So, government's going to be paying more interest. Now, I think the U.S. Treasury bonds, so I've been in the investment business for 45 years. When I started in the business, U.S. Treasury bonds were considered the absolute finest credit you could have. Today, the Treasury bond market is flooded with new debt, and it is it's there's too many treasury bonds that have been issued and consequently i will we will probably always measure what interest rates are doing based on what the 10 year treasury is yielding we always i always look at it every day but for our clients i like to look at credits that are not treasuries Mortgage-backed bonds is what I like, and I'm going to tell you why. Because mortgage-backed bonds like Jenny Mays, Freddie, Ma Freddie Max, Fannie Mays, and some of the uh, mortgage REITs that we have that are, are backed by those kinds of mortgage-backed bonds, they have a real piece of collateral behind them. Treasury bonds don't. U.S. Treasury debt is what's called a debenture. It is a promise to pay, and that's it. There is no collateral behind a U.S. Treasury bond. There's nothing you can go and attach to that debt. It is simply a promise to pay. A mortgage-backed bond has many homes underneath those mortgages that the mortgages have been taken out on so there's actual real collateral. And in almost all cases with uh, mortgage-backed bonds, whether they be issued by Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, or Jenny Mae, they're all, the, these are all agencies that issue what are called mortgage-backed bonds, or they're also known as pass-through certificates, where you get a pool of mortgages together and then you issue these bonds uh, to basically finance mortgages, those 
typically have a loan to value of somewhere in the 70 to 75% range. Meaning if it's a half million dollar house, it's got probably a $350,000 mortgage on it. Meaning that there's equity in, in, in the deal. There's, uh, if, if the house had to be foreclosed upon and sold, there would be enough money there to satisfy the first mortgage. These are all first mortgages too. Don't want to buy a mortgage back backed by home equity loans. People did that in 08 and 09. It didn't work very well. There were problems. Home equity loans, the equity gets wiped out if the house value drops below the value of the first mortgage. So those weren't good. But the first mortgage loans can be very good, and that's why we focus on those for uh, our bond portion of our portfolio. So I just wanted to say that, you know, you're going to hear a lot of news about the Treasury and what they're doing, and they've overissued. We have too many government programs spending way too much money, and you're not going to find many people in Congress that have the stomach to really fight it. but And nobody wants to stake their political career on saying Social Security, we got to discontinue it. You know, <laughs> you're not going to hear that because, and it, 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 something needs to change drastically on Social Security. Something needs to change drastically on Medicare. These are entitlement programs that finally that we won't have them because we won't be able to pay for them, you know? And, and if you say something about it, you're vilified, but you're telling the truth. Nowadays, people don't want to hear the truth. Well, it was, I mean, a few years ago when they, when the discussion was privatizing it, you know, where you would, you know, essentially have the option to take it, you know, yourself do like, like, like what companies did with 401ks versus pensions. Yes. And, you, you companies live that's the real world that's right um because it's it's about can you fund it or not um and that's why companies have moved away from pension plans and people look back on pension plans uh, as you know that they were this you know the holy grail kind of thing um and in some ways they were, but in a lot of ways they weren't. No, uh, you compare that with like modern day four hundred one k plans, uh, where you have an employer match, you have more control over your money and money that's been matched by the employer. You have more control over it than you did with the pension plan. Uh, most pensions didn't have any kind of uh, cost of living adjustment, um, and it was a different world because you you had to stay at that company for you know three decades, um, and it, it was it was a different world, and you can't look back at something like that and just say well that was perfect because it wasn't. There's a reason that pension plans are because you're underfunded. Putting, well, and so the government has put itself on the line yeah. for what are effectively pension plans, exactly. meaning you've written an insurance policy that's not an insurance. It's the flip side of an insurance policy. It's the thing you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. You've 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 opened your checkbook to people living for a long time 
and you're going to have to pay Social Security to them for a long time. And there ought to be a way to opt out of it and to basically figure out how to, um, I don't know, well, pay people out to go away. That's what you have to do. Yeah, you you buy you that you look at lump sum payouts on pension plans. Um, most, you know, if you've been at a company, I know several in Lexington. If you've been there for a long period of time and there was a pension option, they give you the lump sum. That's right. Option, option. you can take it. Yeah, roll it into your yeah. IRA and. I can't tell you how many people we've done that for because it's it's a simple analysis. You look at what the lump sum amount is, what their what the trade off would be if you're going to take a pension on it, and essentially what's the what's the the yield on it, what's the break even period. Yeah. Um, I've seen a couple that were really good, but that was years ago. Yeah. Uh, here recently, the payouts not not all that, and well, it typically has made more sense to take the lump sum. Sure. Um, so shifting gears a minute, um, we'll, 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 we'll carry this over in the next segment, I'm sure. Cause this is, this is a, a big discussion. Um, so there's a phenomenon, they call it the great wealth transfer. And when you look at well, all this is, is basically baby boom generation passing on assets to the next generation. They estimate that that's going to be just shy of $73 trillion over the next 20 years. And it's no mistake that in 2026, the inheritance tax is going to drop back to what it was. If they let it revert. Years ago. Yeah. So about set was at $7 million per They per will person. let it revert. Yeah. It, based on what I just told you about the debt problem. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They will let it revert. Right. They're going to take you know, as much as they can of people's, um, of people's inheritance. Yep. And so when you're, when you looking at that listeners as a baby boomer, uh, you're, you're at the age you've accumulated, you've been retired, you're living off that, uh, you're taking income from it. When that's passing on to the next generation, a number of things has to happen. I mean, A, we'll, we can talk about the investments that we talk about that all the time, you know, how to properly invest. But then there's other pieces to that. Um, that's gets to the, the titling of the account, making sure that beneficiaries are set up. A lot of this is real simple to do, but a lot of people overlook it. Um, making sure beneficiaries are set up. If you have a, a, a regular investment account, be it an individual or a joint, have that set up transfer on death. And so you, what you're trying to do is expedite the process, avoid probate as much as possible. Go That's a good point. Go to the surviving uh, uh, heirs. Um, but the other big part, and this is, this is the harder part, the, the, all the rest of those other things – that's relatively simple. It's kind of common sense. The other part's more uncomfortable. That's talking to the next generation about, you know, you want to be able to set the narrative, um, you know, conveying big principles on money um, to to the to the heirs. Well, it's a value discussion. It's a value values. discussion. Exactly it's about values. <laughs> but. Um, 
a lot of people that are going to be inheriting, they may not be familiar. They may, they may never have had access to this kind of money, um, in, in their lifetime. Uh, and they have to be good stewards of this possibly for a very long time. And <laughs> what? I don't know. I was going to ask Elizabeth to say something. <laughs> I'll pipe up when it's time to close this segment, which is in just about a minute. So Mike, finish your thought. So you, you want, you want to start having that discussion. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more on this in the next segment, uh, but that's an important discussion because you're wanting to leave hopefully a multi-generational legacy. Something can be built for multiple generations if certain uh, values are conveyed, principles on money. It's tough um, to do, though. It, it is tough to do. It's tough to figure out how to start that conversation and how to structure it. That's where Mike and everyone here can help with help with that planning yeah and the other thing is that you have to give your children the ability to succeed or fail on their own if you just make them into trust funders without ever having had to do things on their own they are they're hampered it's a good idea to help them with that while you're still alive, though. So give us a call, 859-233-0400. You can also go to our website, duprefinancial.com, and schedule an appointment with us directly on our homepage. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more of the Financial Hour. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Tom Dupree. A few months ago, we began publicly predicting lower interest rates. At the time, it seemed like a strange thing to predict, given that some of the most well-known names on Wall Street were saying the opposite. Events have proved us correct. If you disregarded our call and kept money in cash and short-term obligations like CDs and money funds, you've left quite a bit on the table. We warned against becoming complacent. When the Federal Reserve begins to cut, rates will drop quickly. We were right. To find out what we think the next move is, call Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 and make an appointment with us. Also, be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio 630 WLAP and your favorite podcast platform.
Welcome back to the Time to Pre-Show for our financial hour. Joining us, Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. All right, so we were talking about the great wealth transfer, and, you know, I've been hearing about this for probably the last 30 years of my career in the investment business, so that would go way back into when I was working at a brokerage firm and and those kinds of things, and and you've seen some of that happen. But um, people are living a lot longer, and it hasn't happened as quickly as some folks had said that it would, Mm -hmm. and it will probably not happen as quickly as people think it is happening today. Yeah. Well, they are – this year, um, they're – dubbing at peak 65 because it's the greatest number of Americans in history that turned 65 years old uh, this year. Uh, And they they figure that's an average of about 12,000 a day that are turning 65. And so it, it it might not be 73 trillion over the next two decades. It might be 25 years or 30 years, but it is happening. And, and, People have to be uh, aware of it. You, the the listener, as the current owner of the asset, you just have to be aware and plan accordingly and do what you can. You, you, you made a great point, Tom, uh, last one, last segment, talking about you can't, you can't force certain action, um, but there's values that that you can instill in people that, you know, should be good for the assets long-term. Um, but the owner of the asset now, um, it, it's using, you know, really kind of basic planning concepts, which would be, you know, the titling, setting up transfer on death, having the proper uh, type of investment for where you are in life. But then it's things like cost basis. You may have an asset that you, you, you've owned for 40 years and you have basically no basis. When I say basis, you bought it at a really low price and the stock's gone way up. So you have an unrealized gain there. Um, it, in taxable accounts. In yeah. taxable accounts. And that might make sense as something that you don't touch or much of it until it passes on to the next generation um because well what's going to happen in most cases is that discussions won't go on and the the next generation will inherit money or not inherit money and they'll be very poorly prepared to handle it and to know how to deploy it there's something to be said about having to struggle and learn how to build one's net worth through difficulty. Now, I heard a guy say one time that inherited money is the hardest earned money (laughs) you can have because of the browbeating that sometimes takes place for years and years previous to that another thing that i see what happens with some kids of 
wealthy parents who inherit money is they become frozen by it, unable to act. Uh, They're afraid to change anything that the parent had set up because they know down in their hearts that they didn't earn it and they could never replace it if they had to. So sometimes what happens is, you know, there's fear about, oh, I don't want to screw this up. And if you in, it's like playing uh, on football, always playing a prevent defense. You're trying to keep the very thing from happening that you're scared of happening, and it happens. <laughs> and um, that can be that way with uh, children of wealthy parents. So the uh, there's no easy way to describe this because you know, another thing I've seen, two brothers inherited the same amount of money. One of them was just naturally adept at managing his finances. The other one liked to drink, liked to party, liked to chase women, liked to have a good time, liked to drive a nice car. And it was about 200000 apiece, and this was probably 30-plus years ago. The first brother very soon had doubled his. The other one, his was gone. And um, these are two brothers raised by the same parents, pretty similarly, but they just had different dispositions when it came to handling money. And I've heard it said, um, if you can live through blowing money, it's a great lesson. Um, that I've had good investments and bad investments. You could say that I blew some money on bad investments, but there's a learning thing that comes in there and you by necessity are forced to learn the lesson that if you've always kicked the ball through the uprights, you never learn. Well, there are a couple of things, too, I think are important to bring up with when you're talking about even initiating that conversation. Number one, I think there's a great fear among the, the people that have, in, have made the money, accumulated the money, and, and are looking to transfer it at some point. They don't want to give up control of that investment that's of true. that money, and that's a that's and a critical shouldn't. point. Exactly. There, exactly. There's a there's a play by Shakespeare called King Lear about a a man who's a king who gives up his his estate too early. He gives it away. He 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 lets his daughters inherit his estate while he's still alive, and it does not work out well. And I've seen it happen in other situations. And you're right. They don't want to give up control. A lot of times they shouldn't. Well, and there's there's also, a, it's rampant, in my opinion, the elder abuse where people are, uh, their adult children want the money now. They don't want to wait. So they go and 
strong arm mom or dad or whomever they're getting the money from into doing things that the parents wouldn't do on their own. I mean, they're being being coerced by their kids. and Especially uh, if the parent might suffer from some form of dementia right. uh, and be able to be manipulated and driven to do something like that simply out of compassion for the child or fear fear mm-hmm. fear is a bigger factor than uh, than you than, than in those cases than you would believe but this is the person that raised the the uh, the child that's doing it to them now and so it's really uh heartbreaking to see and and uh, it, i mean it goes on unfortunately so parents do need to protect against that but the other thing they need to consider is what if i don't do any planning what happens well that's you know, never good. We talk about the estate tax. The, the provision is sunsetting. The, the tax cut is sunsetting. It's going back to the old levels. Uh, Kentucky also is one of the five or six states that has an inheritance tax. It doesn't come into play if it's your parents that you're getting the money from. But regardless of what happens to the estate tax, I mean, if you're inheriting it from an uncle or aunt or uh, even a, a sibling uh, where you're not considered a class A beneficiary, then there's a, a tax that kicks in at a pretty low dollar amount on that. So there are planning moves that need to be made, discussions that need to, to be had, uh, so you don't end up giving it to the government uh, in the form of taxes or, or giving a big, a much smaller amount, and then it can't do good for your family for generational wealth. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think another piece is understanding what money represents. Um, and you know, you, right. if you have somebody that has a stock, I was talking about something with a low basis, um, you know, call it Johnson and Johnson stock that you bought 50 years ago. Of course you would pick that one because your last name, yeah. <laughs> just teasing. Um, and the, we, we've seen it where somebody that inherits that stock, they, they view that there's, there's an affinity to that particular stock or whatever investment it may be because, well, mom or dad own this, so I can't get rid of it. Right. But you have to view it in the context of what that represents and what purpose that's serving. Because um, if, if the portfolio is invested properly for that person's stage in life, it might be there to generate a high income or, uh, or serve a particular purpose that isn't needed in your situation. And so don't fall in love with the particular investment, the particular holding. Um, it, it needs to be tailored to your situation. Uh, if you're the person that made the money, you know, yeah. with where you are in life, if you're someone that's inheriting the money, changes probably need to be made for where you are in life. Right. Well, and to build on that, somebody who is living on the income, they have a high income investment, uh, whether it be stocks, bonds, whatever, uh, if they're splitting it up four ways because they've got four kids, then, I mean, the kids aren't going to have the uh, enough really to to generate or to rely on that to generate income for them, they may need to get some capital appreciation out of it. So they may, they may, it may be the most sensible thing to do to well, invest it in a different manner. The kids, the best thing that you can do for your kids, and, I, and I've done this with my sons, is put them in a situation where they have to work. They've got to be productive. Inheritance or no inheritance you got to be able to stand on your own two feet. The best inheritance that my dad 
ever gave me was the ability. I saw him able to make a living. And I didn't know that if I, that I, I could ever do like he did. And I just didn't do it until I knew I had to. And then I learned what my dad gave me was not a physical inheritance. It wasn't a check that he left me when he died, which he did. But that wasn't the real inheritance I got from my dad. What I got from my dad was knowing that I could um, that I could do this on my own if I had to. That was what was important. That's the thing you got to pass on to your kids. The money, it's great. But if you just become a trust funder and you just want the money and, you know, you're missing it. You're missing what life's really about, I think. But a lot of people get confused and they think, oh, if I had this money, my life will be better. No, it won't. Right. Money will not make your life better. How many times have we seen it? It doesn't work that way. It might make certain things easier that you can do. It might make you able to do this or do that. But if you haven't suffered, and by that I mean agonize sometimes over the choices you're going to make in spending that money, it's going to be gone. Yeah. Yeah. Laboring over it. You got to. Yeah. I mean, if the, the hardest job somebody could give me right now would be to drop $20 million in my lap and say, deploy all of this absolutely properly. Mm -hmm. You know, that's really, or whatever the amount, twenty two hundred million, doesn't matter. I'm now charged with being a good steward of this, and so in a sense, I've got all I can take care of. And if I think that somebody dropping a big ton of money on me out of nowhere is going to change my life and make it easier, I'm in for a rude awakening. Right. Well, and. Uh same vein, but shifting gears a little bit, uh, you know, millennials and Gen X, Gen Z, uh, they, they get a bad rap <laughs> just kind of in general. Um, I, I'm a millennial, I'm an old millennial, but I'm, I'm a millennial. But when you look at, um, you know, home ownership rates, um, yeah, we're going to, yeah, yeah, you look at home ownership rates, they're basically, uh, they're actually a little ahead of where the baby boomer generation was at the same age. Except uh, in Lexington. Well, man. It's hard for people to buy yeah. houses here. And we, we're covering that. And and uh, generational wealth, um, yeah, there's been several studies done, uh, but uh, the baby or the millennials and Gen X, are basically right in line when you adjust for inflation for where the baby boom generation was. Um, and so every generation has their challenges. 
Um, you, you look at, you know, the millennials coming out of college, you had the financial crisis, you have Gen Z right now with, you know, high interest rates, high housing prices, all this. But on the flip side, there's always, there's pros and cons, you know, with a challenge, there's an opportunity and every generation has always had that. Um, and so it's, I think with money, especially, um, People are starting to realize that at a younger age, that small, wise decisions compounded over a long period of time make a big difference when you're when you're looking at building wealth, not just from uh, not the the not spending perspective. That's that's one thing, um, but it's you know contributing to 401k plans. The mantra for the last 10 years has been buy the dip. If your dollar cost averaging, depending on what you were buying, that was, you know, a, a reasonable, uh, it was, a, it was a good move depending on what you were buying. So every generation has its challenges. Um, and you know, what, what we focus on here. Uh, primarily is the retirement uh, problems that people face producing yeah, because we're an income not stream. that worried about whether you're going to leave a bunch of money to your kids initially. What we're concerned about is you having enough income and in retirement. Yep. And people, they overemphasize helping their children. And I understand they're your children and things are tough these days, and that's fine. But the best thing you can give your children is the ability to stand on their own two feet, and you take care of yourself with the assets you've put together. It's just like that thing on an airplane. Right. They say when the, the, when the oxygen mask drops down, put it on yourself first before right. worrying about your kids. You're not going to be of any use to your children if you don't take care of yourself initially. I, I cannot overemphasize that. Do not give too much away to your children before you need to. And that's, I mean, there's plenty they can have when you're dead. Well, that's not being selfish. That's no, the opposite of it's selfish. It's actually taking care of the whole enterprise. Yeah. Because there are things that you can do and wisdom that you can offer that nobody else can offer. But you have to be well taken care of past the time when you either can't work anymore or don't want to boom you got to take care of yourself right and all that can be developed in the context of a retirement plan investment plan long-term plan um, you talk about you know what are your goals you know first and foremost what are your needs then what are your ultimate goals for the funds on down the line and you know all that can be built out, uh, talked about, and you build a plan around that and in investments that are suitable uh, and structured for that purpose. Right. And then you make adjustments to the plan as you go along because it's not, it, it never works out over the next 20 years exactly like you planned for. There are always curveballs, right? Yep. Yeah, there's no, no there there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you don't, it's not a destination. Yeah. That's right. It's always a process. It 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 remains a process um in in as long as you're alive and investing, your investments are a process. 
That's it. If you'd like us to help you with your plan for retirement to get you to and through retirement, call us 859-233-0400. You can also schedule an appointment with us directly on the homepage of our website at dupreefinancial.com. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, and our host, Tom Dupree. Come see us. We appreciate you listening to our financial hour. And my love is an anchor tied to you. Tied with a silver chain. I have my ship and all her flags are a-flying. She is all.